All right, we're in Lesson 1. We're starting a new study in Galatians. And we're going to spend the next 14 weeks going through this really good epistle because I think it answers a lot of things about spirituality and our acceptance with God and the freedom that we have in the Lord because really the Galatians are struggling when Paul wrote this to them. They were struggling with listening to the lies of others who told them that in order for them to be truly spiritual, to be truly accepted with God, they had to do certain things. And so Paul is really writing them to express his frustration with them. And that's what, in fact, that's what our lesson is called today, frustration. You're going to see his frustration with them right off the bat. Because it's like, guys, don't you remember anything I've told you? He's saying to them. Because they're, they're, they're so easily being deceived by others. So let's look at it. We're going to look, first of all, the greeting, verses 1 through 5. Paul writes, Paul, an apostle, not from men or through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so let's look at a couple things. First of all, the writer. The writer identifies himself as the Apostle Paul. Let me just stop for a moment. Here, here, okay, look, look at the very first verse. How does he begin the very first verse? What's the very first word? Paul. Now, let me just belabor this a little bit. Did you notice he didn't say, Most High Reverend Paul? Or Bishop Paul? Or Apostle Paul? With a big A. Did you notice it's not there? What does he say? He, he identifies himself, and then he says, an apostle. He, then, he doesn't claim a title, but he says his position. An apostle, not called by men or, or, or anything. What I want you to see is, is the emphasis in the, New, in the New Testament on the leaders is one of humility. He knew he was an apostle. He speaks, when you go through the letter, you're going to see him speaking based on his authority as an apostle. But he didn't push it with people. Sometimes in our churches, we have a problem with leadership that will push what? The position. Oh, you know, I'm the pastor, so you need to listen to me. No, no, I, there's an authority with being a pastor, but you don't need to flaunt it. You understand? You don't need to cause undue... Actually, what, what you see there is with what's going on today in our churches today is more of a pride issue. You understand what I'm saying? Because reality is, is, really, I'm no different than you, am I? Do I believe the same color blood? Yeah. No, mine's not green. Mine's, mine's red. I have sin issues in my life just as you have sin issues. It's just that God has called me to perform a special duty for the church. That's to shepherd it and guide it. So, really, to put myself above you would be what? Would be wrong. You understand? So, I want you to just notice right off the bat the way Paul identifies himself. He identifies himself as Paul, an apostle. 
So if I, what the, the New Testament thing would be, is if I wrote this, it would be George, a pastor. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? Not Pastor George. All right? Let's go on. Paul states that his calling was not through the efforts of men. This was not something man brought about him being apostle. Now, here's the reason why he's doing this. He's dealing with Judaizers. Let me just remind you of who a Judaizer is. First of all, there are people who are advocating that in order for you to be saved, you have to carry out the law, specifically circumcision, and as well that you need to keep certain Jewish holidays and eat, eat as a Jew does, kosher. Now, what's going on here is when they come into a church that Paul started, they want to discredit Paul. So they're going to discredit his apostleship and say, well, you know, he's not part of the twelve down in Jerusalem. We came from Jerusalem. That's where the twelve are. Who's this Paul guy? And, and if he is an apostle, it's because the twelve in Jerusalem are far superior to him. And we're actually going to look at this later on in this letter where he talks about that, no, he's not inferior to the twelve in Jerusalem. He has nothing, he's not even answerable to the twelve in Jerusalem. And so what he's saying is, is, I'm an apostle not because of the efforts of men. You understand? It's not because of the efforts of men. Here's what he's saying. He states that he was called by Jesus Christ and the Father who raised him. So there is a sense in which there is a calling on individuals' lives in leadership and it's not because of men, but it's because of God. So let me just stop for a moment. It's a good place to make this point. We have offices in our church. All right, We have trustees, and then we have elders. Do you want to know what distinguishes an elder from a trustee? Really, biblically, scripturally. Calling. Calling. You say, what do you mean? We elect them. Well, that's the efforts of men, are they not? So, for instance, you know, you elected to have me come be your pastor, but the reality was is I was called to be a pastor before you guys ever recognized it. Does everybody understand that? Now, here's what I want you to see. With an elder, an elder is, in the biblical sense, a shepherd, a pastor. And there is a sense in which a elder... There needs to be a sense of calling in his life to that office. You understand? It's just not Joe Schmo because we think he's going to make a good leader. We'll make him an elder. You understand? There needs to be an elder is a, is to guide the church in the spiritual aspect of where the church is heading and so forth, and guarding the purity of the church. That's a little bit different than what a trustee does or a deacon does. Does everybody understand that? So there needs to be a sense of calling here. So Paul's saying, look, I'm a leader not because of the efforts of men. I'm a leader because I was called by who? Jesus. And God the Father who raised him. So we want to distinguish what spiritual leadership is. There needs to be a sense of calling in a person's life, a, a call from God in a person's life to go into spiritual leadership. For me, it happened in... The winter, the early winter, it's probably February of 1986. I'd only been saved, I hadn't even been saved a year yet. 
And I remember sitting in a service in West Columbia, South Carolina, in the little Baptist church I went to, and very clearly sensing God saying to me, this is what I want you to do. And he didn't say to me what it would be. He would say, this is what I want you to do. And within a year, I was studying for the Scripture. God worked it all out for me to be able to go to study. Because I was fulfilling the calling He had on my life. You understand? That's what spiritual leadership... Spiritual leadership is called by who? God. We've got to recognize God's authority in spiritual leadership. All right, now let's go on. Here's what he's saying. Here's his companions. Paul sends greetings from the brethren who were with him. There were certain brethren who were with him. And so he sends greetings from the brethren who were with him. We see that in verse 2. Now, who are the recipients? The recipients, he addresses the letter to the churches of Galatia. Now, what I want you to see is that Galatia is an area... That's sort of like saying Clearfield County. All right? It's not a town, it's an area. So if he was writing the churches in our area, he would say to the churches of Clearfield County or to the churches within Pike Township or Lawrence Township. He's talking about a geographical area here. So he's writing the churches in the area of Galatia. So he's writing multiple churches at one time with one letter. So you say, well, one letter, who would they send it to? Well, they would send it... They would bring it by courier. It didn't have mail back then. So you complain about the mail service you have right now. I mean, think about it. You had to wait months for whoever to bring a message to you. Okay? And you didn't even know it was coming. And it would show up. And so what they would do then is one would bring it to one church. They would read it in the assembly. When they got together, they would read the letter from the apostle. Then they would take that letter to another. Somebody would run it over to the other church. And, and, and what they would do is, a lot of times the early church recognized the authority of the apostles. Here's what they would do. They would copy the original letter, word for word, and then send the letters out. So this is why we know that they're scriptural, because these were already circulating long before some council in 320, at the time of Constantine, decided that what the canon should be. There were certain letters that were copied and passed around that were recognized for the scriptural authority that they had. This is one of them. So he's writing the churches in Galatia. Now here's his greeting. Paul bestows the traditional blessing of grace and peace from the Father in Jesus. So this is a traditional blessing. You'll see it a lot in his epistles. You even see Peter say this, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a traditional blessing. Now, here's what he's going to do. He's going to tell the reason why he's able to do this blessing. Here's the reason why he's able to do this blessing. Jesus Christ gave himself as the sacrifice for our sins. So immediately he says, I want you to have peace and I want you to have grace. Now here's the reason why you can have peace and grace. He immediately goes to the cross. Because the cross is where we get peace, is it not? It's because of his sacrifice that we are able to be what? Saved and have peace and grace in our life. Now grace, what is grace? 
Grace, the technical definition of it, the theological definition of it, is unmerited favor. Here's what it means in a practical George Cannon everyday way. Getting what you don't deserve. Getting what you don't deserve. So, here's what he's saying. Jesus Christ gave himself to sacrifice for our sins. He gave himself in order to deliver us from this evil world. See, you and I are delivered from this evil world. You say, well, I'm still suffering. I'm still, man, this world's still wrecking havoc in my life. Yes, but here's the point I want you to see. This world can do whatever it wants to to you, but you have something this world cannot take away from you. What is it? Your salvation, a future, a hope with Christ. You understand what I'm saying? Life may end up being terrible, but you know you've got a hope for the future. You see what I'm saying? So he gave himself in order to deliver us from this evil world. Now, let's go on. He's going to talk about the Father's will. He gave himself in obedience to the Father's will. Now, he's, he's going to specifically say why. First of all, he brought us salvation through the cross. He delivered us from evil. Why did this take place? It took place because Jesus is being obedient to the Father. It's not because of us. It's because the Father wanted him to do that. So he did it. Is obedience to the will of God. Here, it's not because you're good. Not because of what side of the railroad tracks you grew up on. Does everybody understand me? Not because you grew up in the right place or came from the right family or had the right level of education. It has nothing to do with that. The reason why salvation came about is because Jesus was being obedient to who? The Father. The will of the Father. Now, let's go on. In fact, a cross-reference there, I wrote it there, is Philippians 2.8. Listen to what it says. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He was being obedient. Now, here's what I want you to see. Paul's praise. Paul acknowledges that continual glory belongs to Jesus. All glory belongs to who? Jesus. Now, so let's stop for a moment. When you think about your salvation, when you think about when you came to Christ, when you recognized who He was, that He's God, and you submitted to Him and you asked Him to come into your life because you recognize there's nothing that you can do for your salvation, He's done it all for you. Who gets the glory? You, because you figured it out? No. In fact, you couldn't figure it out unless God helped you figure it out. All glory belongs to who? God. Because the reality is, if you go to Romans, Paul says this, no one seeks after God. No one does good. No one wants Him. It's all glory belongs to Him. Not the preacher who preached the message, not the grandma who prayed with you, Nobody gets the glory for your salvation except who? Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? He deserves all the glory. Okay, so he starts off there. He gives a praise. He's getting the focus on God. Now we get to verse 6 through 10, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. And he's going to launch it. I mean, there's not even, listen, this is a harsh letter. With some of the other letters, like for instance, when you look at Corinthians, remember we went through Corinthians, and did the Corinthians have a lot of problems? Boy, did they ever have a lot of problems. And what does he start off with? He starts off with a prayer of thanksgiving for them. 
I want to thank you, Jesus, for them. So now, when you look at this letter, after giving praise to God, because of, you know, that's the basis for his blessing, he starts off in verse 6. Well, let's read it and you'll see. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preached any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what we, you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Okay, so here's what he's saying. Let's look at his frustration here. It's pretty evident. First of all, their desertion. Here's his astonishment. He's astonished at them for this. Paul marveled that they would turn away from the true gospel. First of all, let's, let's stop for a moment. Who can give me a definition of the gospel? Maybe we need to start there first. Who can give me a definition of what the gospel is? Okay, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the first main component of it. Anybody else want to expand up beyond what Bruce is saying? The gospel is that Jesus Christ came, lived a sinless life, went to the cross to pay the penalty of wrath for our sin, on the third day was raised from the dead, ascended to heaven, and will return. And that because of Him, I now am able to be forgiven of my sins and have eternal life and have acceptance with God, not because of what I've done, but because of what He has done. And I place my faith and trust in His finished work. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You understand? My acceptance with God is because of what Jesus Christ has done, not because of me. Does everybody understand the gospel? When we communicate to people, that's the gospel. The gospel isn't ten steps to be happy in Jesus. Ten steps to have a happy marriage. Ten steps for prosperity. God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. That's not the gospel. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection for Jesus on our behalf because we could not do anything for it. Does everybody understand? That's the gospel. That's the gospel that Paul preached. Now, here's what he's, he's, he's astonished at them about, is that they so quickly, what? Turn from it. You say, what are they turning to? They're turning back to a system of what? Works. That my acceptance with God is based upon what? What I do. Do you understand what I'm saying? So your acceptance with God is not based upon what you do. Now that doesn't, let me just stop for a moment, that does not give you a license to do whatever you want to do. 
Because there are other passages, and we'll talk about that later, because you're going to say, how can I distinguish the two? Well, here's the thing. Let me, let me liken it this way. I've got four kids, Madison Foster, Sawyer, and Hudson. They're my kids. Now, do they do wrong things? Do they do wrong things, Lord? They do wrong things. Do I reject them and not accept them in my house anymore because of that? And I know sometimes there are families that do that kind of thing, but that's not normal. No, I love them and care for them. Do they cease to become a canon because they don't do their schoolwork? No. Do you understand what I'm saying? My acceptance of them... Now, am I disappointed with them? Do I lay down the law with them? Do I have to discipline them? Yes. But that doesn't change their standing with me. No. See, this is what I want you to understand. Your acceptance in being a part of God's family has nothing to do with what you do. Now, he does, like a loving father, say to you, don't do this, and if you do this, you'll suffer the consequences. Does everybody understand? It has nothing to do with the acceptance aspect. See, this is the problem, this is the trap. See, this letter is a good letter because this is the trap a lot of us fall into whether we realize it or not. Oh, Jesus, I didn't do my devotions this week. I haven't been praying as much as I should be. And guess what happens? You start thinking that God looks at you less. In fact, here's what happens. Because life is the way life is, you could have a flat tire on the interstate and you think, oh, it's because I didn't do my devotions. What kind of a trap is that? What are you doing? You're doing the exact same thing the Galatians are doing. And what's that? You are turning away from what? The true gospel. Don't we all do it? See, Paul's astonished. He's marveling at them. Here's what he's saying to them. Paul states that the different gospel is not a gospel at all. That's not good news. The gospel is, is that Jesus did it all for me. This gospel that we get deceived by, that they're deceived by, is that I've got to do stuff to gain acceptance with God. That's not a gospel at all. That's not good news. That's bondage. Think about that. If, if your acceptance with God was based upon what you do and how you feel, how are you doing the day? I mean, you may have woke up this morning and you're like, somebody put rusty nails in your Wheaties, and you're like, you know, Do you understand? You don't even feel... You don't, some, some of you, until you get your shower and your coffee, you're not feeling saved. You know what I mean? How many of you can relate to that? Got to have that coffee... And give me that shower. Don't talk to me till I've got my shower. You know? That's where you're at. And, and, and you can't go by your feelings because that's just bondage. Well, well, then if that's the way you are, you're going to be like, Oh, I must not be saved. Well, God doesn't accept me today. That's not the reality. Paul states that, that the different gospel is not a gospel at all. Okay, let's go on. Paul states that false teachers were perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ. These false teachers were perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, it is so easy to slip over, it's a fine line, to slip over where we can stress that our acceptance with God is based upon doing. So let me give you an example. I was just talking to somebody last night about this. What do we tell people? We tell our unsafe friends, our loved ones that we want to see come to Christ, we tell them that they need to go to where? 
Church. Because if they just go to church, everything will be what? All right. That's a lie. Going to church isn't going to make everything all right, because you can go to church and be bored. Do you know what I'm saying? What you need to do is, come with me and meet who? Jesus. It's Jesus who is redemption. It is Jesus who is salvation. It is Jesus whose life. Church, coming to church, that's just what? Ritual. Now you say, well, you mean I don't need to be here? No, you need to be here. We need you. Because we build each other up. And the greatest part of church is not the service, but what happens in between the service and after the service. As people what? Interact. So if you bust out of here quickly, you're missing it. You've missed the reality of what church is. It's the interaction with people. So here's what I'm saying. So he's saying that these guys were perverting that pure gospel. So then he gives a hypothetical case here. Look with me. Look at verse 8. Here's what he says. But even if we or an angel from heaven preached any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Here's what he's saying. If an, he or an angel preached a different gospel, he should be accursed. Now, literally, can I be honest with you? The word there means anathema. It's the Greek word anathema. How many of you have heard that word before? Anathema. Can I tell you what it literally means? It means to hell with them. So if somebody comes along and communicates to you that your acceptance with God is based upon what you do, Paul is saying this, they are perverting the gospel and literally let them go to hell. That's what he's saying. Now, let me just stop for a minute. There is a group that goes around and says to you, that they're preaching a different gospel because they're saying to you that their founder received a revelation from a what? Angel. Anybody know what that group is? Mormons. Okay. A lot of you don't know how to deal with them. Galatians. Chapter 1, verse 8. And 9. If anyone comes to you and preaches another gospel than what we have given you, Paul says, let them be what? Cursed. Because what they're preaching is something different. If you talk to them, they'll say to you, they'll say things like this, well, you know, the Bible is good, but the true revelation is what? Book of Mormon. Where did the Book of Mormon come from? Joseph Smith, as he was talked to by what angel? The angel Morani. So here's what I want you to see. What's Paul saying? If anyone communicates to you a different gospel than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and that your salvation is based upon what He has done, not upon you, and you just need to accept what He has done for you and submit to it, then that person needs to be literally go to hell, is what He's saying. That's reality. This, I mean, He's not starting off this letter nice, is He? Now you're saying, wait a minute now, hold on a second. Hmm. I guess I don't understand, George. When we were reading the Corinthians, man, they were doing some stuff that was wrong. I mean, they were fighting. They were letting people do things that weren't right. And, I mean, and there was a whole lot of problems in the Corinthian church. But, man, Paul didn't start off his letter to them that way. Why is he starting off his letter, 
I mean, brutally honest and mean in this letter to the Galatians. Why is he doing that? Because at the heart of the issue here, he was dealing with actions with the Corinthian church. But here, he's dealing with the heart of what salvation is. That's even more serious. You understand? With the Corinthians, he was dealing with actions. With the Galatians, he's dealing with what the heart of salvation is. So it's going to be more brutal. Do you understand? He's going to try and get their attention a little bit more. See, there are some things that are even more serious than how you're acting. It's what you believe about salvation. you understand what I'm saying? So, because here's the thing. Out of that is, comes the actions. Out of what you believe comes your actions. Okay, let's go on. So, here's what he's saying. Anyone who preaches a gospel that is different than what they preach is condemned. That's his whole point. He reiterates that. So he gives two verses, 8 and 9, basically saying the same thing. The person who preaches another gospel, literally, to hell with them. And that's the truth. In fact, let me explain something to you. Throughout the New Testament, here is the condemnation of a false teacher that they're going to hell. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're going to hell. So let's just back up for a moment. Remember I said to you at the beginning, notice how Paul identifies himself. He identifies himself as Paul, an apostle. Paul, this is who I am. He doesn't focus on his title. You know, he's very humble. He focuses on, I'm, I'm an apostle because God called me. And I said to you that there's a lot of times, there's a focus today to, you know, hear, well, pastor or most holy reverend or, or bishop so-and-so or whatever. Now, here's what I want you to see. What makes a man a man of God? Two things, his calling and his message. I'm going to put that down, write that down. What makes a man a man of God is his calling and his message. Simply claim, There's a lot of people claiming titles who are saying, well, I'm Bishop so-and-so, and they're talking to you with gold, diamond-encrusted cufflinks on, begging for money for the nations. I mean, you want to laugh at that if you don't want to cry. What's their message? It's not the gospel. So are they called from God? Are they a man of God? I don't care what their title is. Are they? No. It's the calling and the message. It's the calling and the message. You had your hand up, Bill. Because uh, I think we watered down the gospel. Bill's asking, you didn't hear what he said. Bill's asking, well, if Paul is saying this, that they need to believe the gospel, if, and if they're preaching another gospel, they're condemned. Why don't we hear enough of that today? Well, the problem is, is because we're not emphasizing what the gospel is. We're trying to take, and he's going to say this, we're preaching something later, he says about those Judaizers, that they want to remove the offense of the cross. See, the cross is offensive to people. The thought that somebody would have to experience a bloody death and die for you, that's not acceptable to people. Now, for you, you're like, what do you mean? I understand it. Well, you understand it, but people who don't understand it think it's utter foolishness, craziness. In fact, isn't that what Paul says? To the Greeks, it is what? Foolishness. To the Gentiles, it's foolishness. 
to the Jew, it's a stumbling block that their Messiah would be crucified. So, here's what I want you to see. If anyone preaches a gospel that is different than what they preach, they're condemned. I think we live in an age where we want everybody to accept us. But my friends, what does Jesus say? Is everybody going to accept you? No. No, in fact, you will have people who will be offended because of him. So here's Paul's ministry. We're going to finish it up here. Two points. Paul did not use man-pleasing methods to convince them of the truth. Isn't that interesting? Look at what verse 10 says. For I do, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of God. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, guys, when I came to you and gave this message, it wasn't because I was trying to please men. Because the message isn't going to please men. People aren't going to be happy with it. How many people do you know like being told they're a sinner and they're going to hell? How many of you like that? I don't like that. doesn't sit well with me. And so here's the Apostle Paul. He's coming along. He's giving that message that we're all going to hell and that the only way that we can have salvation is what? Through the person of Jesus Christ and by faith in Him alone, not what you do. That's not acceptable to people. You know, next week in the God Question series, we're going to be talking about what happens to me when I die. That's a very relevant question today because I've been to a lot of funerals lately, and when I talk to people, most people just think that everybody's going to go where? To heaven. Is that true? No, most are not going to heaven. And it's not because of what they did. It's because they don't know Jesus. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. You tell that to some people, they're not going to accept it. They're going to say, what, are you egotistical or what? You've got to be kidding me. You believe that? You need to go to the funny farm. Do you know what I'm saying? They're not going to react to it. That's not a, that's not a nice message for today in our culture. You understand? So Paul's saying, look, when I talk to you, I didn't use man-pleasing methods. I didn't water down the gospel. I didn't do all this stuff to try to make everybody feel good and happy. I didn't do that. Because I spoke the truth because it's the Holy Spirit who convinces of the truth, not me. Now here's what he says. God, in fact, that's what he says, God convinces men of the truth. See, this is just set some of you free here. Some of you are sharing the gospel with your friends. You're sharing the gospel with relatives, and they're not responding, right? And here's what happens. When that happens, you start having these thoughts come through your mind. And let me just point out to you that not every thought that enters into your mind is from you. Everybody understand me? Anyone want to write that one down? Not every thought that enters into your mind is from you. And what the enemy will do is he'll come along and say, well, you know, hey, hey, Bruce, you've been witnessing, sharing. Your method is wrong. You don't know how to answer the questions. You just might as well give it up. And so here's what we do. We start thinking, yeah, I really flubbed up that presentation. I didn't say the right magical gospel words. Isn't that what we do? We, we just, we got to find the right presentation. And so therefore, I must be the problem. No, you're not the problem. You're just the messenger. The message is what it is. 
Whether they believe it or not, that's up to them. Who's the one that should convince them? God. That's what he's saying here. God is the one who convinces the truth. Okay, let's close our time. Next week, we're going to see Paul. He's going to launch right into a defense of his apostleship. Because this is really at the heart of it. These Judaizers are coming along and they're saying, well, you don't need to listen to that Paul because he's not a true apostle. And really the ones who are in charge are the twelve back in Jerusalem. So Paul's going to, uh, going to address this issue of his apostleship. So we're going to look at that next week. Let's go to our time and pray.